John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Good Labor Day to you. Monday, September 7th, 2020, episode 266 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Some would argue, Ken Flo, neither you nor I has any Boston twang whatsoever. I think maybe when I drink, it comes out a little bit. Certain words for sure. It's hard for me to say karate hottie on broadcast without dipping in there. But where I don't know if it's the way we grew up or where we grew up. You know, my dad was from New York, but I don't hear any accent when you talk. That's for sure. Not really. Every once in a while when I go to have it and I pack my cat like over by the uh, beer stand. No, I, you know, I, we don't really have it. We didn't grow up in like in the heart of Boston. You know, my older siblings right. have it way more because they were kind of more uh, closer to the city or what have you. But right. Right. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it's a good thing. People have a very it's either they love it or they hate it. Yeah, there's no in between with the Boston X. Right. No, you're absolutely right. You either lean fully into it or it drives you fucking crazy. (laughs) I guess you're right. When I was working at at Legal Seafoods in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, there on Commonwealth. Know that place well. And I was living closer to the city and working with a lot of people who was coming out. But eventually we'll do do an episode in the uh, in the Boston. We should. All right. Coming up today, uh, we will recap Overeem versus Sakai. How about the Reem? I mean, my Lord, 40 years of age. So we'll talk about that show. Longo's coming up in five minutes. He was not available right at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, he did get the show open invitation for back-to-back weeks, but he respectfully declined. Uh, And then also predictions because we have another UFC live event coming up this weekend. Michelle Waterson and Angela Hill uh, getting the main event showcase. But Ken, Ken. Sorry, Dr. Florian. I don't call him that often. Uh, let us get into headlines and Alistair Overeem's performance against Augusto Sakai. Five round TKO. Ken Flo, you had him winning by round four TKO. So pretty close there on the prediction, but you got the method correct. And uh, I am in awe of this man's body of work, but in awe of this performance as well. I, I think he was tested early on in this fight and uh, this very well may be the best version of Alistair. I mean, he might not be as athletic or as fast as he once was, but I think this is the best version and this is a huge win and a career full of them. Yeah. Listen, I I sit here inspired. Um, It's amazing what Alistair Overeem has accomplished in his career. Um, Of course, the UFC championship is the one belt that has eluded him, but um, I, I was just blown away by his ability to adapt. You could really see the veteran come out of him. Um, as each round came out, he was adjusting, he was playing smart. And I think, you know, aside from the Rosenstrike fight um, and maybe the Curtis Blades fight where he got finished in the round three, I think Overeem is most susceptible to be taken out early in a fight. Yes. Um, he usually comes out a little bit hesitant, not sure. And I think you typically see that from the more intelligent fighters. They might be a little bit more vulnerable early on because they are kind of computing and analyzing things and trying to see what their opponent is doing out there. It was particularly uh, difficult when you get a guy in Augusta Sakai who is a sneaky good athlete, who is fast, who kept blitzing him repeatedly and was catching him here and there. But the adjustment that Overeem made to um, avoid those shots defensively 
clinch him up, utilize those knees, and eventually hit those takedowns really was the difference. That finish was as brutal of a finish as you will see. Dude, the first elbow was brutal. The second one was really bad. The third one would decapitate anyone under under 205 pounds. I mean, it would chop your damn head off. The cut was brutal. That elbow was nasty. I mean, Sakai's head hit that canvas so damn hard. Yeah. Overeem is a savage. The fact that he still has that kind of fight and brutality in him at 40 years old after how many years of fighting, you know, from Japan to the United States. Sorry, I'm just blown away, John. Yeah, you were at Boston College when he was making his pro debut. Crazy. You know, and here he is still going strong. He'll be 41 uh, in May, but he does still have, I think, three fights left on his contract, and they're going to be big fights, at least the next one. You're right about Sakai. He is a sneaky good athlete, and uh, I do think his stock goes up in some ways with this performance. Doesn't have a ton of power. I mean, he's got some yeah. knockouts, but he has a lot of close fights, a lot of split decision wins, but uh, wasn't able to put Overeem away. I, I really commend that high guard of Alistair Overeem because he just knows how to cover up. And if you looked at the discrepancy when it came to the numbers, not just the significant strike accuracy of Alistair Overeem, but the striking defense, that was a huge discrepancy between these two athletes. And uh, I think Cody Donovan and this team elevation fight team just deserves a lot of credit, you know, Uh, to get a guy like Overeem. Granted, he's never had the reputation of being a guy who isn't coachable, Uh, but to be be able to extract these type of performances out of him at this stage of his career, uh, to me, this is a team effort for sure. Uh, I agree. I agree. Um, but again, you don't get this far without a champion style mindset. Overeem still talks about trying to get this belt. So yeah. he's still hungry. Uh, and absolutely the guys at team elevation have done a phenomenal job. Uh, I think, you know, that little added wrinkle of offensive wrestling is something that Overeem, you know, had some decent takedowns, but didn't have traditional wrestling style takedowns in the form of singles and doubles like he right. does now, in my opinion. Uh, so those were cleaner. His grounded pound was just freaking brutal, man. Some of the best grounded pound I've seen in a very, very long time. And I, no. you know me, I'm, I'm a huge fan of those elbows. Yeah, yeah. No pad on that elbow, that's for Oof. sure. You're right about the championship hunger, too. I know a lot of handicappers, when they're assessing a matchup, the first thing they look at is hunger, desire. Where is this fighter in his career relative to the other? And and not to say that a fight like Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley can be simplified in that way necessarily, but Colby Covington would appear to be closer to his fighting prime right now, and I think the betting line reflects that. You know, T. Wood's my guy, been to Ferguson, Missouri, but I think a lot of people looking at that fight feel like maybe Colby has more championship desire. I can assure you uh, it's still there for T. Wood, and he wants to beat Colby, but I do think it's... Uh, it's a very interesting thing to bring up when it comes to Alistair Overeem because he has not lost that whatsoever. And I think when he does, he'll probably step away. I also thought it was interesting that he said he was going to finish Sakai inside of 10 minutes because I think that was absolutely gamesmanship because he was going to try to extend this fight, finish him in the latter rounds. He gets stronger as the fight goes on. I think he's Mm -hmm. rhythmic. He feels the fight and uh, a brilliant performance. So what do you want to see next? I mean, a lot of people talking about a rematch with Jarzinho Rosenstrike. It's not going to be a title fight. And the calendar isn't ideal because Stipe is probably going to take a healthy amount of time off. Anything uh, pique your interest more than others in terms of a next opponent for uh, for the ream? I think that Rosenstrike uh, fight definitely favors him. I, I, I know that he would like to get that one back. He made one little mistake there at the very end. 
Um, and I think it's, it's obviously a fight that he can win. Um, and with a win over someone like a Rosenstrike, he kind of puts himself back into contention. I know he's been there before, uh, but we all know what happened in that fight against Stipe. It, it would be great to see Overeem stick around and get a rematch uh, yeah. and, and just one more shot at that belt. But um, I, I like that idea of, of fighting Rosenstrike. I think it makes a lot of sense. Nobody seems to want that Francis Ngannou cat right now. No, like, oh, no, no, know, no. Man. We're good on that. I don't know. We're good on that. Rosenstrike yeah. wants Pass, that. hard pass. But Rosenstrike has regained momentum, so I think that very well could be uh, a UFC main event at some point, maybe in December. All right, Ray Longo coming up in about 60 seconds. First, I want to let you know support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. And I got to tell you, I have a second one now that I'm using on my beard. I don't know if I'm not supposed to say that, but this Lawnmower 3.0 is the blade of the future. This company has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Truly number one when it comes to men's below-the-belt grooming. It's the top-notch ball trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0. Keeps you clean without any of those nicks and cuts. Manscaped, as you've seen, has also partnered with a lot of top-tier MMA athletes, middleweight champ Israel Adesanya, the future Hall of Famer Max Holloway, the aforementioned Francis Ngannou, and many others who understand that hygiene matters and also know what it takes to be the best well so does this revolutionary men's grooming company manscaped they have just redesigned that lawnmower 3.0 you've heard me talk about the great ceramic blade proprietary advanced skin safe technology accidents truly will become a thing of the past of that i can assure you and big picture listeners viewers if you are men probably don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using down there. You might have to buy a second one if you're going to do that. So we want to help you get there, get to the promised land to get 20% off with free shipping. Go to manscaped.com right now. Use the promo code AF. That's promo code AF for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. And you know who probably needs a lawnmower 3.0? Let's get to Ray Longo. All right, the great Ray Longo now joins us live from Longo Weidman MMA in Garden City, New York. I'd imagine you just got a private in. I mean, are you? Is that a man bun? Do you have a? Do you have a hair tie in your hair today? Uh, no, definitely no man okay. bun. Uh, you All were correct right. on your first assumption. You know, was <laughs> so uh, you're one for two, which is yeah. pretty good. So, uh, so who were you just working with? And thank you for fitting us in there after. I had uh, my good friend, Doctor Raymond Pesso. And, okay. and uh, Bob O'Neill, two okay. two really good good guys, close friends, uh, great time. If we ever get through this COVID nineteen stuff, I'm gonna come and take a private with you. Cody Merrow might film the goddamn thing and will embarrass me in front of the whole world. Let me tell you, I would love for that. We'll leave in straps and gloves on. I'll even move around where you let you beat the crap out of me. How's that? Uh, I, what I really would love to do is bring my twin brother and let us beat the fuck out of each other. That's what <laughs> you know how many times back in the day I would get guys Kenny, uh, you know, when when the uh, when that whole like Wolf of Wall Street thing was going on, guys from those firms would come in. Oh, we want to just rent the place because this guy wants to, you know, fight this guy. It was crazy. I mean, and, 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 more, and more than once or twice. But that was a big deal. Like they wanted to settle grudge matches. And uh, that's amazing. It was crazy. Good stuff. Uh, my wheels are really spinning now. They Maybe are. not even headshots necessarily, but certainly body shots and kicking and all that stuff. Me and my yeah, twin brother will find know, it out. He'll need a hair basically. tie if you have any extras. Yeah, base. What hair tie are we talking so, about? <laughs> my twin brother has hair down to his shoulders. So oh, I got can, yeah. I, 
can I be the referee and like all all nonsense? Kenny Florian up there. Can we, can ah, we yeah. do? Yeah, that'd be good. From anything goes at Longo Weidman MMA. Anything we could yeah. have two chickens fighting each other. So uh, Ken Flo and I were just talking about Alistair Overeem, and I think a lot of us are marveling at his evolution and his performance and just his willingness to uh, to maybe adapt to the game and the matchup in front of him. What'd you think of Overeem turning back Augusto Sakai a couple days ago? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm always impressed with the uh, guys that have been around for 20 years that are, you know, getting a little older when they can uh, they can get a win like that. Look, he was, you know, it was just experience versus inexperience to me. He was relaxed. You know, he even when he was shelling up, I don't think he was ever in any danger. And uh, man, hats off to Overeem, man. He found like a, you know, a second wind. And he's definitely got the power and the technical skills to get anybody out of there at any given point in time. And uh, I thought it was a great fight for Overeem. And he's, yeah. still a, he's still a nasty prick, right? He's still got that fighter in him, right? I yeah, mean, no, isn't that he crazy? was mean at the end of that. Oh, let me tell you, those elbows were no joke. No joke. He generated a lot of power with those. Kemflo, what do you make about the shelling up as Ray was talking about the striking defense? Because I do think, as I said earlier, he does a masterful job minimizing damage. But sometimes in a heavyweight fight, that body language makes you think that a heavyweight is getting teed up. And I agree with Ray. That wasn't at all the case. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times you'll see guys kind of shell up here and then kind of he was either backing up in a way or moving laterally or he'd go into the clinch. So he'd wait for a big shot. And because he's in nice and tight on that shell, he'd wrap up the arms or get to a tie clinch. So um, basically Muay Thai 101 really from Alistair Overeem. And he was able to kind of diffuse a lot of those shots from Sakai. So, Ray, uh, we also had a big win for Ovin St. Pru over Alonzo Menafield. And when you look at what Ovin St. Pru has done, 13 UFC wins, 11 finishes. And he just I went through two fight weeks with this guy over the last three weeks. And both times, even dealing with the COVID-19 prior in late August, he carried himself with such a confidence that couldn't believe he was an underdog, especially in this matchup. And I don't know if it was the experience or if, if he's just the better fighter overall, but I thought this was, was maybe his best performance. What'd you think of OSP? Listen, I, 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 listen, I'm going this whole night was experience versus inexperience for guys coming up, even Kelleher versus, you know, when he choked that guy out, that was experience versus inexperience. These are guys that have been around for a long time. Look at the guys OSP has fought. Seriously, look at the competition. That's a big step up for Menafield. It really was. But he made that look easy, kept the range, kept him away with the front kicks, was picking his shots. The guy never really got near him. Uh, total confidence. But I think that confidence comes with experience. And that experience, uh, you know, I think just paid dividends for him. Like there was like you're facing John Jones and then you go down to a fight like that. You're not. You're not rattled. And I think even with the Overeem fight, when he was covering up, he's been in there with so many people. You don't think he knows when he's in danger or he's not in danger. And he's just rolling with that stuff. So what you think looks crazy or some people like he's sitting. No, he he knows it. He's just waiting for his opportunity, waiting for the guy to burn out. He's not feeling anything. He doesn't have to get frantic. And that's what experience gives you. And I think we saw that in a bunch of fights. But to both guys, and especially OSP, because he made it look easy i don't even think he got hit much at all right uh right. He just looked like a huge guy in there that was doing whatever he wanted to do having fun like you say he just you know he was a gentleman you said the, the couple of weeks you were with him and he yeah. just i thought he made it look easy and uh like you're right what was 
why would they put him as an underdog after all the competition that guy's right. faced? Right. is crazy, you know? Vince is the man. And Ken Floyd, I also want to hear what you have to say about Alonzo Menafield because I think cardiovascularly he did a ton of work to try to right some wrongs. And, you know, he talked a lot about sort of the mindset, the lungs, grit, you know, it seemed like he was in the shape of his life, but obviously he didn't do much before he got knocked out. But Vince, man, I think he's he's going to be the first big guy who's going to fight like 30 times in the UFC. Kenny, he's only getting better, was largely untouched in this fight. What do you think of St. Prue? I thought St. Prue uh, did a great job of just picking the right strikes at the right time. And I think Ray summed it up beautifully. It really was the difference. Um, you know, the experience was the difference. I mean, if you look at Menafield on a technical level, He's superior to OSP. He throws things, uh, you know, way more by the book than say OSP does. Even positionally, if you look at the final blow, OSP was kind of very upright and very susceptible to an overhand shot. He just got there first. He knew what Metafield was going to throw, and maybe he was out of position a little bit, but he landed as he was coming forward, threw the right shot at the right time, uh, and pulled it off, man. Um, like Ray said, when you're facing a high level competition like that day in and day out, and you're prepared for big fights. Um, you're going to find a way to win against a guy like Metafield, who perhaps doesn't have that same kind of experience. Skills are one thing. What you can do in the gym is, is one thing. What you can do on fight night is something completely different. OSP pulled it off. Um, I underestimated him. Um, he still has it. He's still hungry and uh, good to see him get the win. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think from a matchmaker standpoint too, uh, they have they gave these guys the opportunity. This was a big step up, but if they could have passed that test, then I think the UFC would have known. You know, I got something in this guy, I got something in that guy. You know, whatever it was. But I think uh, I, I, I just think the experience, and again, o, uh, OSP and uh, um, uh, Overeem. I mean, how old are those guys? I mean, they're yeah. up there. You know what I mean? Right. So they take a shot. You know, his age is, is tonight going to be the night that they feel their age. But, you know, unfortunately for the other two guys, that Saturday night wasn't that night. So maybe the next time, you never know when that's going to happen. Right. But because uh, you could even see Overeem after. He's not sure if he wants to retire, even off a win. I thought he was very hesitant when you asked him the question. Yes. I thought body language was almost I thought I thought he was going to retire off a win. And then it's he went back and he reconsidered and, you know, so he's on the fence. So, you know, I, it is interesting. You say that because you hit on a very important point. I thought leading up to this fight, Ken Flo, he was saying things that sounded like a guy who had one foot out the door, even though he would then follow that up by saying, I think, you know, I got three fights left, but yeah, man, I mean, this would have been a great performance on which to step away, but I do think that, uh, at least one more, but yeah, it seems like yeah. maybe at any given time. He and look, and then, and John, even that fight, you could really go back and look at like, maybe he was looking to get out of there. <laughs> Who the heck knows? But you know, even his takedowns, Ken, he's just dragging the guy down, just grabbing him and sitting down. And, you know, and that's where the other guys in experience, you could see didn't have the wrestling or the jujitsu and they would just fall into the mat. And then he was, you don't want that guy on top of you for sure. And, uh, it just was crazy, but I thought body language wise, I wasn't sure which way he was lead leaning, even in a, in a even in a, in a nice win like that. Well, see, this is why I feel like referees really need to know the athletes, because with all due 100%. respect though, to guys like Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen, when Mir and Sonnen turtle up and shell up, they're giving you a sign that they want to get out of there. At least that's my yeah. 
humble Without opinion. And with Overeem, I didn't necessarily see that. But uh, all right, well, congrats to the Reem. Congrats to Ovin St. Prue. And for Alonzo Menafield, all of a sudden, you know, three months ago, four months ago, he was undefeated. Now it's back-to-back losses, so he goes back to the drawing board. Uh, what'd you make of Michel Pareda? Kempfo, we'll start with you on him. He's the guy everybody's talking about on a Monday morning. You know, I don't want to say his back was up against the wall, but it was a very disappointing one and two start for him in the UFC. And I think he uh, he put all of that in the distant pass with uh, a dominant effort against Zelami Medaev. He sure did, man. Um, you know, I, I know DC was talking about him throwing some things that might have been unnecessary, but I, I disagree. I think that's what makes Michel Pereira so dangerous is the fact that he does throw a lot of things that you don't expect. And I think it brings out the, the core of who he is. Um, he is very dynamic. He's physically gifted and he can throw every damn strike in the book, man. And he could throw it well and he's dangerous with it. I think the more, variety he throws out there uh i think the more dangerous he is um as he gets more comfortable in the octagon especially with his takedown defense like he did against imadayev um i think this guy is going to be a tough guy to stop uh, i really do i think range wise speed wise power wise and again all the different weapons that he throws out there and that he trusts in his game is going to be a lot for someone to deal with um i i still think he has some experience to gain of course but I thought this was a phenomenal experience from the Brazilian fighter. I think he's only, only going to get better from here. Um, and if he can keep this up, he might be one of the more devastating strikers in the UFC. Telling you, Ray, what do you think about it? I'm, I'm agreeing with Kenny 100%. Look, even, you know, those strikes, if you're, you're fighting a guy, you know he can't kick you in the head. He just doesn't have the flexibility. That You don't have to think about that. It makes it a lot easier. So it wasn't like he was getting beat up and he started doing crazy stuff. He did it while he was winning, and he every so often. So he he gave that guy something else to think about, which was already a lot to think about considering what was happening. You know what I'm saying? So I think the guy, he was able to control his fucking craziness. I'm, I'm really impressed with that because some of those guys just can't control themselves. He said he proved that he could be a disciplined guy and every so often throwing a couple of crazy things. But again, he's having fun. He's not doing it like this is a this is why he's dangerous is because one guy looked like they were having a great time. What the other yep. guy look like? The other guy just didn't want to, you know, get me the fuck out of here. I can't do right, nothing. Right. Absolutely. Get embarrassed. And, you know, that's that's what it is. So, like, it's almost then, then when you think things are going maybe OK, you get smacked in the face. What's worse than that? What's the guy going to do? Spit in his face after that? I mean, right, right, I mean, right. he might as well have just taken off his glove and just started smacking him with it. You know what I yeah. mean? So he really technically <laughs> humiliated that guy and he did it in a way where psychologically he broke him down. So I I. I disagree also with DC. You have to throw that stuff in there. I mean, he did it in a way where no harm done. He didn't pay for anything. So why not give the guy more to think about during the fight? What do you like? I just said, like, take it off his fucking glove. Uh, yeah, you haven't seen that in the old right. movie? Oh, like, Yo. No, it, it comes back. It's like, you know, cultivating the mind of a dead man. You know, it's like when you don't give a shit and you're just fighting uh. just to fight and you don't care. You could see them. I agree with Ray. You see the difference in Imadiyev, the frustration, the stress, oh, yeah. you know, the need to go out there and do something. Whereas, you know, Pereira is just like, I'm I'm here to have fun and I'm just going to yeah. beat the shit out of you with whatever I got. And he 
was just flowing out there. Imadayev was forcing stuff. And it's such a different mindset when you're trying to go out there and forcing a win or forcing something to happen out there. It, it just never goes as well as you'd like, right? Exactly. I agree 100% with that. I, I was very impressed with him, and I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan before this fight because I thought he was out of his mind, but I was really impressed with that guy. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that nobody's going to want to fight unless, you know, like, again, because it looks like his cardio, he's got that squared away. It held up pretty good. Yep. And that guy was yep. pressing forward the whole time, but he never looked like he was out of his comfort zone for one second in that fight. And I think that's the difference for me. He, yeah. He's understanding how to balance being dynamic and being aggressive yeah. without being stupid. We, we saw him make some that. stupid decisions before. Yeah. And of course, early on in his UFC career. So he understands what kind of fighter he is now a little bit more. And uh, he's balancing the stupid. How's that? I think he, I think you I, I agree on the money today, man. He's still, he's still out of his skull piece though. Right. I mean, let's be clear. The dude's yeah, let's know, well, we got one fight. He got by, I think, you know, let's just give him another chance. Cause I think like, again, what I saw in the past, he was just what a mad hat and nuts, you know, but how about, I mean, a, a kiss blow right into a Stockton slap. And what's funny is when uh, he tries to leverage the cage, every time he tries to leverage the fence or strike off the fence, more often than not, the guy lands. So yeah. power to Michelle Pareda. I do want to ask you, Kenny, I had this as part of my show preparation for today's Anakin Florian podcast. Michelle Pareda does have 11 professional losses, and you talked about him getting more comfortable in the octagon. Just because you got 30 pro fights doesn't mean that you're even at your fighting prime. But in terms of preparing for a guy like this, I don't know how many times, Ray, you prepared for wild men or Ken Flo, how many times you fought somebody who was particularly wild. And maybe that's not the right adjective, but how do you prepare for a guy like Pareda when you really don't know what's coming when it comes to all that variety? Man, I, I tell you what, you're going to have to get a variety of sparring partners and you're going to have to have a sparring partner who's going to have to do tape on someone like Pareda and it's going to throw a lot of unusual stuff at you. Everything from what the rolling thunder kick to everything right. else that he threw out, jumping off the cage, spinning attacks, slaps, you know, clowning them in the octagon. Those are all things that can really throw you off as a fighter as well. When you see a guy who's right in front of you and he's looking down at the mat and clowning clowning you, uh, it could be extremely frustrating. It can get you emotional. And I think it absolutely did that to Imadayev, especially a guy who hasn't seen a lot. Imadayev, what, that was his third fight in the octagon. So Correct. he wasn't exactly the most experienced guy in the octagon that night. And I think it worked out really well for for Pereira. Now, how well that works against someone like a Kamaru Usman moving forward is a completely different story. And of course, that's a different style to deal with, deal with altogether. But on, on um, as far as facing any other striker out there, Pereira's got a lot of tools, man, a, a lot of tools that can throw you off and take you out. Yeah. And I, and what, what's more scary about that, you could see him developing other tools. Like I think he's just beginning and when you have that type of skill set and the flexibility and that, you know, uh, that explosiveness, me, you could do a lot with that, you know. So if he gets with the right people and they harness that, like you say, like just meet meet me in the middle with the crazy, that's yeah. going to be a problem. As far as preparing for guys like that, like what Kenny was saying, you have to go over all those things. I think even with when I had Weidman against Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva is another guy. He would clown you into walking into something. We went through that a thousand times. I would mimic him. I would go through with him, and he wasn't going to have it. You know what I mean? That wasn't going to be the first time he saw it in the octagon. It was going to be going over and over and over, 
And the other thing is you might have to take a couple of blows to give a couple of blows with these guys. So conditioning has to be off the charts where you could push these guys when nobody else has pushed them. And uh, I know as far as Anderson Silva, that's the way we addressed it because he, 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 he was clowning people, you know, like look what he did to Forrest Griffin. He be tortured that guy so bad. The guy ran out of the ring. He went to his, I think he left. He just left, got in his car and drove home from Philadelphia. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to be careful because if you're not the right, if you're not grounded, those guys could really just set you on a path of where you just unravel in front of 20,000 people. Well, despite what Michelle Pereira said during fight week about his contract and what I then said on broadcast, this was the first fight of a new UFC deal. So he is signed. He says he's going to move to Vegas and lean on that UFC PI. So, uh, Sky just might be the limit for Michelle Pereira. It is a tough division, though. All right. Because I know Ray Longo's doing, like, post-fight shows and shit, I can go even deeper on this card. Before we get to uh, Matt the Steamroller for Bull and Billy Q fighting this weekend, Andre Muniz over Bartosz Fabinski by armbar Kenflow Looked like uh, a beautiful transition to my amateur eyes. Thought he was going for the triangle. And before... I could even say anything. The tap had come. So uh, talk us through the great armbar for uh, the thus far UFC perfect Andre Muniz. You, you know, it, it's not your typical finish that you'll see at a high level um, just because there's not a whole lot of control of the body when you switch from a triangle to an arm lock like that. So instead of having his arm over the body, underneath the armpit, and over the head. There's way more control with the frame of your legs for him being able to stack. Fabinski thought he was just in a triangle and was just trying to maneuver around the triangle. He didn't expect the arm lock uh, and wasn't prepared positionally to escape that arm lock. He thought he was just in a triangle. He went to move, got compromised in that arm lock position, and just tapped real quickly. But that's not an arm lock that you'll see a lot because there's not a whole lot of control. Fabinski could have gotten out of that. Of course, you're talking about seconds away from, you know, having to make those decisions. He went the wrong way, which put him uh, in a compromised position positionally. And uh, Muniz hit a, hit a beautiful arm bar. So uh, unfortunate there for Fabinski, uh, a, a nice, uh, a nice finish, which you don't see too often at a high level. And um, yeah, on go onward goes uh, Muniz. And uh, he gets a bonus, and so does Brian Kelleher. And then he shouts out the New York Islanders as well, which I really enjoyed, even <laughs> as a Boston guy. But uh, tough go for Ray Rodriguez, right? He's home in San Antonio, rushes into Vegas, doesn't even get to stare down with Brian Kelleher. And just before Kelleher went to bed, and actually just before I went to bed, we found out that Kevin, not TV dad, was out and Ray Rodriguez was in. So I feel bad for the kid. Maybe he didn't know about that patented Kelleher guillotine, but... Uh, Seems like Kelleher's got a pretty good feel for that guillotine choke, Ray. What'd you make of Boom's performance? Man, listen, man. I'm going to say I'm making a prediction. Brian Kelleher is going to be the new Jim Miller. He just looks like he's just going to fight and fight and fight. And they're going to do it. They're going to have a great living. They're going to go on. They're going to win some. They're going to lose some. But they're always going to be in the fight. And that's the way I look at Look at Kelleher now. He just reminds me of a Jim Miller work ethic. He's just always in there. And the one thing Aljo said uh, years ago to me, he goes, that guy... You can't have that guy on your neck. It's one thing he does good. He's got squeeze strength, supposedly, you know, just phenomenal squeeze strength, and he's proven it, you know. But I remember Aljo said that, and I think even DC said that in a fight that Aljo had told him that he's got a great uh, guillotine, and uh, you can't stay there. You you got to get frantic and get the hell out of there because he will he will get you with that. So hats off to him, man. He's willing to jump in there on 
just he didn't even care. One thirty-five, one forty-five. The guy just wants to fight. Like again, I think he's picking up checks, and that's good for him, man. He's he he's really doing something in this this crazy he time is. we're going through where people are struggling to make money. He's he's got to be on top of the world, this kid. Yeah, four appearances this year. Three of them wins. Hasn't had to cut a lot of weight, Ken Flo, because he's competing at 145 pounds. Kenny, what do you have for us on the guillotine and what makes some guys maybe more special or crafty with it than others? Well, you know, it, it's a fantastic uh, technique that I kind of ignored in my MMA career because it's a great equalizer to a guy who's trying to take it down. If, if you're going against a wrestler with a good double or single and you don't have a solid or dangerous uh, kind of Shazam style submission, like a guillotine, um, it, it, it could really put you in a lot of bad positions. So now for a lot of people who said, well, you know, because Kelleher's got some power on the feet as well. And thinking that you're just going to take him down, put him on his back and finish him. Now it's going to get people to really think otherwise, because it is a great equalizer, a great counter to those takedowns. And uh, Kelleher wrapped it up did excellent control with his legs to, to keep that going. And um, I agree with Ray. I think Kelleher is one of those guys going to be, be around a long time. Uh, and he just kind of has that. Uh, I don't give a shit attitude. He's going to fight anybody anytime. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, man, once you, you have that type of guillotine, even if you go for it and the guy gets out, he gets out. Luckily, he don't want to go back in there again. Yeah. Right. So you give yeah. that guy yeah. again, it's another thing to think about going back to what we we said before, the more things you can make a guy think about, the easier yeah. it's going to be to get to him because yeah. your brain can't process that many things. You know what I mean? That's why these unorthodox guys are, are tough. You just can't follow them. You don't see it enough in sparring. You know what I mean? So you don't have the flight time even in your training. And then you get in there and the bangles are coming at you from all all over the place and it poses a, a major problem. But yeah. same thing with this guillotine. Even if he got out. Trust me, he's not going to want to go nowhere near that. And yeah. that's going to affect what he does from that point on. Yeah. No, you guys are both on fucking fire today. It's like an yeah, escape room. Once you get out, it's like, why are you, going, why are you going back in an escape room? Like, once I got off the only roller coaster I went on in my life, yeah, you I'm not don't going get back, back on, John. What are we doing here, you know? They I mean, would go risk my life on thing. a Ferris wheel. I mean, you go to a restaurant, you get salmonella. You go back in the next day, no! You get the hell out of there. <laughs> This is basic common sense, Kenny. I mean, so, Kenny, are you saying that defensively in your career, you didn't leverage the guillotine as much as you would like? Is that abso what you're saying? Absolutely. You know, I think there, there was a time in my jiu-jitsu career where I had a really sharp guillotine. It was one of my go-to moves. But um, in MMA, there were, some, there were some spots, especially up against the cage, where if you went for that guillotine and you didn't get it, you were in a really bad spot. So I think I would say – for me, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go for the guillotine. I'd rather try to fight the takedown a little bit more uh, than compromise my position. But and the, the reality is I should have been working to sharpen up my guillotine way more as, as a nice equalizer to a lot of those guys who kind of would take me down and, and, and be a blanket on me. So um, I wish I worked on it more. Um, I, I, I do have a good guillotine now, thankfully. Uh, so it, it's just one of those things that I think um, – a lot of people uh, don't utilize as well. Kakama Worthy, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, hit a beautiful high above guillotine against Luis, Luis Pena. So uh, it's a very powerful move. It's This is the most vulnerable part of the neck. It's the one submission you could utilize to actually kill another human being. It's the only submission. It's the most powerful submission uh, in all of martial arts, uh, whether you're talking about rear naked or guillotine. It's a brutal move, and uh, more, more guys should be utilizing it. 
Yeah, and, and to what Kenny's oh. saying. Let's, <laughs> I'm Kenny getting excited, man. Well, when we, whenever we talk about Team Florian and Kempo's career, I get excited for this guillotine. I'll tell you, but, you know, and let me just add something to that. Now, Kenny will either agree or disagree, but philosophy, philosophies evolve also. So back then, what he's saying, you go for the guillotine, you got somebody in your rear, then you lose. You lose the guillotine, the guy's on time. You know, it takes it until somebody does it. There were a lot of things that people thought would never happen. No, you're yeah. not. Okay, I'll just front kick him in the face, you know? Yeah, all of a sudden, people are just front kicking you right in the goddamn face. So as things went on and people evolved and all those different arts started to cross over and become intertwined, yeah, things change. And I think back what Kenny's saying is 100% true. Don't go for a leg lock, you'll end up in a bad position. Don't do this, don't do that. You know, guess what? It takes somebody to go, fuck you. I don't give a shit. I'm going for it. And you know what? Now they get it. Now everybody's going for it. You know, so it's all philosophy. Is, is that kind of correct? hundred percent. Yeah. This is what the martial arts is all about. Yeah. A lot of times don't throw it away until you've really investigated it. Now, yeah. this is this is the these are the choices we have to make as coaches and as martial arts practitioners of how much time do I want to spend on this as opposed to that. But that's right. the most difficult yeah. part, I think, of training and camps. So yes, because there's always an answer. You could always make your martial arts work. It just comes down to how are you going to make it work? And, and that's the philosophy from a guy like a Bruce Lee, where the combat, it, it never stops evolving. It never stops. There's always something you could. Yeah. Look, and, even when I was training Matt back in the day, John, like at the beginning, he, he changed. But at the beginning, he would never want to do a spin technique because he could give up his back. You know, I'm not going to do that because then the guy's on my neck. And you know what? That you know, like again, at that time, everybody was experimenting. It was an arms race. You know what I mean? If you had a new way of training, if you had a new technique, it was it was big stuff back then. Now it's you know it not as much because we've evolved so much. But back then, there were a lot of things you didn't want to take a risk at. You were playing it safe. But today, you're, you're letting this shit go. And there are a lot of athletes that we have roundly criticized on broadcast who don't have a good enough guillotine and they try to use it defensively and exactly. they end up in a compromising yeah. position. And then you have so, to know your athlete also, right? You know. All right, before we let you go, you got Matt the steamroller for Bola. I don't know if Sal the bulldozer for Bola is going to be at his corner this weekend or not, but you got <laughs> Matt for Bola and Billy Q, best of friends, both competing this weekend. So I'd imagine you will be watching with a keen eye as those I, two guys try to get some. Drinks. I will be watching with a keen eye. And let's wish the uh, bulldozer a happy birthday. I think I saw her on social media. It's Sal's birthday. So Sal, happy birthday, buddy. One of the, one of the good, good dads in the sport. You know what I mean? So, uh, those guys have been down in Florida. I really didn't get involved with this camp. I had started him for this fight. We had a great camp going back and whenever it was, and then it got scratched. So uh, I hope he's sticking to that. I'll probably give him a call. I've been, you know, he left while I was still in Vegas. And the way this crazy thing's going, it's been a, just one of the hazards of everything is that you lose touch and whatever. But uh, I think those guys are both going to crush it this week. Again, he knows but we had started with Roosevelt Roberts a while back. So I think he's got a great blueprint and uh, hopefully he sticks to it. Rosie Roberts has been calling him out every step. Oh, of the way. Man. Oh, those guys. <laughs> he's like, he's to, he's to Frivola what Kevin Lee was to Iaquinta. They just can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Lee would lose. He's still calling them out. He, that's all the fight. I, I just, you got to move on, buddy, move <laughs> on. You know, this guy, Roosevelt Roberts, cause I think Frivola beat Jalen Turner. He wants to avenge it. Like it's a Kung right. Fu movie. He wants to right. avenge his buddy's death. Right. 
I, I really, it's a little wacky, but he's going to get exactly what he asked for, I think, on Saturday night because steamrollers, steamrollers got a lot of arsenal. So, all right, man. Well, uh, we'll let you go. Uh, so, if you, I mean, can you grab can you grab that hair and put it in a ponytail? Just grab it. And let me see what we have. <laughs> fucking grab it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Hey, can, hey. Cody, can we get some uh, ANF scrunchies made that we can send some Anakin and Florian scrunchies for Ray? Send him a 10 pack for me. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> scrunchies, hey, uh, I'm down to. <laughs> hey, check is in the mail. The Ray Longo Minute merchandise. Have you got on to AnakFlorianPodcast.com? Have you seen the store, by the way, Ray? Have you seen the Ray Longo Minute merchandise? I'd have you not even honest. seen it? I have to be. I'm going to go on it today, though, because I feel. Can you give me a heads up on that? I thought it was a joke when you sent me that stuff. You guys actually made merchandise for me. Guys, unbelievable. Code. Let me tell you something. I want to address all my Minutemen out there. <laughs> go to the merchandise store and please buy. You got to be ready in a minute in this game, Kenny. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Oh, that's so good. I, I love. <laughs> you guys grow up seriously. <laughs> Every week we need Ray in a different outfit. I, I think this is a new thing that so we got to go with. Yeah, you I like up. it. Listen, never act your age. Remember right. that. Act your shoe size. Exactly. It's that a trap. Right. Don't grow up. Don't grow up. All right, uh, man. All right, man. Have a uh, have a great week. Anything else? Before you guys, we let you guys you actually made my Monday. You made my Monday. This was the most insightful conversation I've ever had with Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny today. I love it. I love talking to Ray. It was good. Well, when we actually get deep on martial arts, you can see, you know, uh, I love it. Fucking when he brings up Bruce Lee, man, that's it. It's all over. Hell yeah. You. you know, all right. Get the fuck out of here. What we is gotta go. Reject what, what is useless. So I'm rejecting this goddamn podcast. I'm out of here. <laughs> I see it, Ray. <laughs> He's on fire. On wow. The podcast. I think what helps him, if I'm being honest, that's my new verbal crutch, if I'm being honest. Our producer, Cody Merrow, helps him, of course. But I do think doing the post-fight show that he's been doing at times, yeah. I think it just tunes him in. And so then a lot of this is repetitive. You know, when you and I used mm -hmm. to do, like, those radio tours before, like, Ronda would fight. Yes. You know, by interview number 20, it's like you're fucking money or you're ready to kill yourself, you know. But more often <laughs> yep. than not, you're pretty good by that point in time. All right. Another UFC fight night beckons. It is Watterson versus Hill. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And it is now time to welcome in. Mixed martial arts handicapper, former mixed martial arts manager on social media, Ian Parker, MMA. Ian Parker now joins us live from Parkland, Florida. And I wanted to ask you about this off the air, but I do think it might resonate or be of value to our listeners. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Ken Flo knows some of this. So in Palm Beach County, the public schools are opening on September 21st, right? But unlike some of the private schools down here, you know, my kids are in public school, so we don't know exactly how often are they going to wear their masks so I'm trying to decide whether or not to send my kids back to school on September 21st. And Ian, I know you have some opinions on this, but as I sit here two weeks out, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. Yeah, and you, you're not supposed to know either. If you if you ha if you were 100% one way or the other, um, everyone should listen to you. Then this is listen right now. Right. 
in Broward County. My daughter just started preschool last Tuesday. And I will tell you, it's a smaller school. I guess it's private. And uh, we get there. They do a temperature check. They make her wash her hands. They make all the adults wear a mask. They walk, they walk her inside. They've been open all summer for camp at this place, and they've not had one positive test. And uh, there's not one asshole there who's, not, who's complaining about wearing a mask. So I will say in that regard, it's worked. But for a public school, you know, my son's been doing virtual from eight to two, uh, <coughs> excuse me, for the last uh, three weeks since school started. It's hard for me to imagine any public school opening and be able to remain open with all the exposure. You know, you're going to get right. at least one po positive right. test. And then what happens? Then you guys are kind of you're fucked and you have to go. You know, I, in my opinion, if I was the uh, district decision maker, I would literally hold off until winter break. They spend so much time investment investment on getting these kids comfortable with learning from home and trying to get used to a normal schedule, whatever the new normal is, to really only give it three weeks worth of a try. You know, I, I would maybe consider a hybrid, you know, not a full blown exposure because yeah. I think that'll just set everybody back, especially in Florida, where last weekend we had a 23 percent increase in cases. You know, but Florida's really not done the right thing here. This is what I mean, every other state in the country opens gyms in phase seven. We open it in phase one. So we're just yeah. not very bright. That's you know, just what it is. So my nine year old is like begging me to send her back to school. I'm really just bringing it up because I think parents have a hard decision because there's so much that is not ideal about the distance learning. And at this point, my nine year old is literally like, Daddy, I'll wear a mask. I'll starve all day and eat lunch when I come home. I just want to see my friends. So it's like, what am I supposed to do? You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a tough one. And again, I, I think we, we need to remember that kids are, you know, assuming everyone's healthy, you know, um, they are the safest out of every one of the population. But obviously they go home to parents or grandparents right. who who may not be. So right. it's a tricky thing, man. And I, I just hope that we learn from this damn situation. So we're ready for the yeah. next pandemic for yeah. 2021. Yeah. All right. Let's update the scores for you. It is now 111 to 109 for Team Florian after a big week for Team Anik. Captain by Ian Parker it was five to three. If you're curious about the swing fight, it was the co-main event. Oven St. Prue and Alonzo Metafield. Ian had St. Prue in round two. He had Von Flew. It was a knockout, but you got the round right, and that was the underdog. And Ken Flo did have Alistair Overing by TKO in round four. So that was a two-point hitter for you. But Team Florian still in control. 111-109, but things continue to tighten up. And we have four picks for you today. Two of the full variety and then a couple quick picks on the way out. We will begin with a co-main event at lightweight that I absolutely fucking love. Kama Worthy minus 140, Otman Azaitar minus 120. We will need the round in the method of victory, guys. We'll have Ian lead here. So Worthy 2-0 and in the UFC thus far. This matchup has been delayed several times, so I have voiced a combo feature for this fight <laughs> at least three times this year, and now I'm not calling it. Memorable UFC debut in last year at Abu Dhabi, but he has not fought since. Your thoughts on the co-main event and who gets it done? I think this is somebody who twice has come in as a as an underdog, a significant underdog, and has surprised everybody. And I don't think it should be a surprise anymore. This is just a guy who has paid his dues and for whatever reason couldn't get into the UFC earlier, which is kind of shocking because we've seen a lot of guys with shittier records, you know, who have come in and who maybe kind of had a uh, – What's the word for a padded record compared to Kama Worthy? You know, he comes in with a huge knockout, biggest underdog of the year. Then against Luis Pena, Pena, you know, first round dominating, second round was, you know, got controlled on the ground, third round made the adjustments and then got a ridiculous guillotine sub. It's so hard for me to not. I just think that Kama Worthy may be the complete fighter that people are underestimating. I think his striking is good, his speed. He's very big for the division also. Cardio is there. I'm just a huge fan. 
And I think that maybe it's time we give him a little bit more credit than he's been getting here. Uh, I know the lines were more even when this first opened. I now see that it's at, what is it, minus 140, I believe. Um, give me comma worthy. I want to see this guy keep going. I want to see the streak continue. I'm a fan. Let's go. All right. How's he get it done? Shit. Forgot about that one. Um, ah, man, he's finished both his fights. I don't know if he's going to finish this guy. You know what? Just give me give me decision for the moment. Right. Um, I need a little bit more time to do tape on his opponent. Ben Flo, what do you have for me on the co-main, Kip? Uh, this is a tough one. You know, we, we don't know a whole lot uh, uh, about Otman um, uh, as Itar. And, and I feel like, you know, he's, he's got this undefeated record. Um, but Kama Worthy, I, I feel like, is way more battle-tested uh, despite having, what, he has six losses, I think, on his record. That's not always a great indicator of how good they are. And uh, I, I think that Worthy... Uh, might have more ways to win. I, I don't think he's the most technical guy in the world. I, I, as of right now, I'm not sure he'll get into that insane top 15 and the 155 pound division, but um, I, I do think he's got the right mindset and I do think he makes the right decisions out there for the most part. Um, so I like Kama Worthy as well. Let's go with, um, let's go with third round TKO. All right, Kama Worthy, third round TKO. The Ken Flo selection, and that brings us to the main event. We will have Ken Flo lead the dance here. You got Angela Hill minus 145, the karate hottie Michelle Watterson plus 125. Another fight that was supposed to happen prior got a little bit of a delay here, and now it's going to be five rounds, obviously, Kenny, because Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira are not walking through that door. Hill's got a lot of momentum. She's a completely different fighter than the one that was sort of unceremoniously cut from the UFC and then returned several years ago. I was amazed to to read that she's the first black woman to headline a UFC, which is absolutely awesome uh, in this climate or not. It's very awesome. Um, what do you think about Hill here as a slight favorite against Waters? You know, um, I, I like the fact that Hill is in a five round fight against Waterson than a three. I think that favors her a little bit. I think she tends to get stronger as the fight goes on. Um, but I, I think Watterson does have the skills to get it done. Um, I don't see a finish from either of these women. I think both are very tough. Um, and you know, I, I see it really being a chess match. Um, you know, as far as the footwork goes, um, I think Watterson's going to have to stick and move, utilize that sidekick that she has so well, uh, to strike, get in, get out try to attack the body of Hill as much as possible. And Hill really needs to be good about cutting off the cage, um, stopping those takedowns every once in a while. Watterson has a sneaky good double leg that she hits every once in a while. And I think Watterson uh, should be the better grappler here as far as once they get to the ground. Um, so for that reason, I think Watterson's, Watterson might be a little bit more well-rounded. I also think she's faced tougher competition overall uh, than Angela Hill. And I think you know, when you see these five round fights, often it, it kind of uh, comes down to experience. It's a tough one to pick, but I like Watterson by decision here. Watterson by decision. And yeah, she definitely has the five round and championship experience over Angela Hill. Hill has some, though, of course, as a former Invicta FC champion as well. But I think you bring up a lot of good points. And, and again, you know, these women just found out about 10 days ago that this was going to be five and not three. But uh, Watterson's back is up against the wall. She's lost two straight after she had all that divisional momentum. So it's, it's a fascinating main event for me. Uh, I do think we might be destined for the scorecards. But Angela Hill, if her Instagram is any indication, uh, she physically is really turning over some new leaves. So we'll see how it goes in the main event. We need a selection from Ian Parker, IP. Watterson Hill, pretty close on paper. Who do you have? 
All right, so with this with this fight, this is a really interesting one. I also like Michelle Waterson here. I feel like we saw a lot of good things from Angela Hill against Claudia Gadeja. The only thing that if she didn't drop Claudia, I don't know if she gets that second round the way Claudia was fighting. There's still holes in Angela's game. I just think that in that fight, Claudia didn't use the ground game as much as she should, and I thought her cardio, again, suffered towards the end of the fight like a lot of the fights that Claudia has. Michelle Waterson doesn't get tired here. She has a very sufficient ground game. She has been in five-round wars, you know, and I think her stand-up is a different style that Angela Hill has been fighting. She has not been fighting other women that have been strong uh, kickboxers with the karate style, and I think that could present the problem. I think that Michelle Waterson needs to really use that push kick. I think she needs to get the fight to the ground, and I think at some point she will. I don't see either one finishing the other either. I'm not trying to just tail Kenny. Believe me, I really wanted to be able. I was hoping he was going to go Angela Hill here. Yeah. I really was. So I also like Michelle Waterson by decision. I think at both these uh, the careers where they're meeting right now, this actually is a very smart matchup. And again, it's September. It's 111-109. So you just, you know, stay in that lane of yours and try to fucking beat him head to head, right? Don't you, you seem so concerned with what he's doing. Like just lean into your own shot. No, 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 no. I'm not concerned. I just think at this point, I know how Kenny operates. And I was, I thought that he was going to ride with, uh, with Angela Hill. I listen, I have my pick set up before the show happens. You know, the only time that I'll change something is if I know I can truly fuck myself and then it's just not worth it, you know? So that's why I didn't switch the rackage last week. It got, if he would have hit Anthony Smith, that Neil Magny win would have meant shit. So all right, let's get your quick picks before we let you fly. Roosevelt Roberts, minus 120. Matt Frivola, even money. Who do you have there? This is a tough one. This is a real tough fight. I'm trying to not base uh, Roosevelt Roberts over his last fight against Jim Miller. And Frivola has done really good against guys who are like six foot seven in the division. Uh, I just think that Frivola's aggressiveness in this may be his uh, Achilles heel in the situation. I think Roosevelt Roberts is the better technical striker. I think he's the faster guy. I'm not going to look at Kenny because he's awkwardly smiling at me right now, which means he's going to go with Frivola. I'm going to go Roosevelt Roberts here in this one. And so uh, Roberts or Frivola for you, bro. I was laughing at your long, quick pick. Uh, <laughs> Frivola, Frivola. And then, uh, and then Andrea Lee, uh, minus 310 versus Roxanne Modafferi, who's plus 255. Ian, who do you have there? Andrea Lee, goodbye. Uh, Ken Flo, uh, Lee for you as well, I assume, Flo. Lee, Andrea Lee. All right, a couple picks there for Andrea KGB Lee. All right, Ian Parker, it's always good to see your smiling face, my man. We will talk to you next week. Big one next week. 14 fights, at least five picks from you guys for uh, Covington. Excuse me. Is it Covington versus Woodley or Woodley versus Covington? Yes, Covington versus Woodley. Colby has the red corner. Ian Parker, I salute your ass, man. You salute. I salute yours too, John. All right. Ian Parker with (laughs) us every week here on the Anna Florian podcast. All right. Big things happening in the United States of America on Thursday. The NFL season gets underway. One of the most exciting weeks of the year for us Americans and increasingly for our friends in England and even Australia. Of course, several other countries I haven't mentioned. There are a lot of NFL fans in India, I think, as well. So I am contractually prevented from picking MMA fights, betting on MMA fights. I'm not prevented from doing that in the NFL. So we have a good segment for you over the next 17 weeks. Me versus Cody Merrow. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. 
All right, the pick to click is brought to you by oddshark.com. Oddshark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Oddshark and start playing like a shark today. Oddshark.com. Don't forget the second S. All right, so here's what we're going to do during the NFL season. Our producer, Cody Marrow, now joins us live. He and I are each going to give you one play each week. We'll go head-to-head, and after the 17-week regular season and the playoffs, the loser has to take five shots on the air of an alcohol of the winner's choosing, and those five shots have to be consumed within the first 20 minutes of the broadcast. So no Bacardi 151. I don't know what you you guys who were born in the 1990s are drinking these days, but nothing over 95 proof. I mean, if I drink five shots of Tangeray in 20 minutes, I'll be blacked out on the air, Cody, so. I mean, John, we got 17 weeks, right? I mean, we can get a, a bookie over at Patron, maybe. You know, we'll get some tequila or maybe some Terramana. We know a guy. We do know a guy. Terramana, maybe Casamigos. We'll see. We'll figure all that out. But uh, we need a pick to click from you today. Obviously, everything begins on Thursday night, the Texans at the Chiefs. But uh, what's the game that jumps off the slate for, uh, for you in week one? Well, John, I feel like I'm picking some low-hanging fruit here because the Washington football team, they don't even have a real name. How can they be prepared to start this season? I absolutely love the Philly minus six coming in on this game. Carson Wentz's biggest problem historically, it's been his health. No concerns about that coming in on game one. I also really like the continuity you get with Doug Peterson versus Ron Rivera. Rivera's had health issues this offseason, his first year with the team, added on top of the organizational issues. Dumpster fire over in Washington. I really don't love it. I have to acknowledge the fact that the Eagles are one in six in their last seven games in September against the spread, but I'm just going to completely wash that one away because Washington's 0-5 against the spread against their last five division opponents. So NFC East is only two teams that are going to win that division. I think you're seeing one here, so I like Philly minus six. And you've identified one of the games that you believe will be a blowout. I think that's part of the challenge early on for me. There are always going to be some blowouts, but how do you identify what they're going to be? And how are the home road splits going to shake out with no fans? How much of an impact does that have? I mean, you know, in Minnesota, they're still going to be pumping in all the sound that is legal right up until that line. But uh, it's going to be interesting. I tend to like home underdogs all season long, and that's where I'm going to begin. I thought about Atlanta uh, getting a point and a half home to Seattle, but I'm going to take the L.A. Rams plus three home against the Dallas Cowboys. I I do like the head coach. I do think there's an advantage in terms of the staff for the Los Angeles Rams. Big picture, I'm bullish on the Cowboys this year. I have a future on them to win the Super Bowl. I think they have a great chance to come out of the NFC, but I'm not in the business of laying three with the Cowboys in week one. So my pick to click for week one will be the Los Angeles Rams catching three at home against the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Anaclorianpodcast.com is live if you want to buy merchandise. Links to do so is there. Hopefully everybody isn't just buying all the Ray Longo stuff, right? Can you imagine if, if that's what happens? Cody's like, yeah, we're fucking sold out of the Longo stuff, but, uh, Money the John Anik, yeah, the John, <laughs> Anik, yeah, right. Exactly. The John Anik, yo later t-shirt. Uh, we've sold three. Um, all right. So next week we will be joined by the greatest living American, Brian Stan. We're going to get his thoughts on the state of the world right now, the upcoming election, He's going to convince me not to write in his name and probably vote for for Biden or Trump. Uh, We'll get his thoughts, though, on the UFC, of course, most importantly, and the middleweight title fight. That was the reason for the book. And I want to hear what he has to say on Adesanya Costa, as big a fight as this promotion can put together at present. All right. Thanks to our guests, Ray Longo, Ian Parker. This has been a Veracity Media Group production. Cody Merrill, our executive producer. Ken Flo, great stuff, my man. Appreciate the early start. We will talk to all of you 
in less than seven days. Until then, don't text and drive. Try to wear your mask. Pat Militich, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, trying to be a good guy for the greater good. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, be safe, be healthy. 